Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Certainly of you had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Good to be here and to share with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to preach from down here. I think I did this last time I was here. Uh, I tend to move around. And uh, up in Vermont, I pastored up in Vermont for 12 years. And up there, people used to sit in the back. So I would always come down the aisle and move. And now we're in the front rows. But we've got some up here. But uh, uh, I'm Jack and my wife, Eva. Uh, we work uh, currently with the Eastern District of the Evangelical Free Church in the area of pastoral care. And even I want to thank you as a church because we came on board about uh, three and a half years ago after I retired from uh, 40 years of pastoral ministry and uh, with the Evangelical Free Church. And uh, you as a church have been supporting us uh, for that, those three and a half years. Uh, we don't get uh, paid. Uh, the uh, district helps us out with expenses and a bit of a stipend, but you as a church came on board early on with us and said pastoral care is something that's important for Kevin and Laura and other pastors, and we want to indicate that by sharing with you. So you've been faithful as a church over these past three and a half years to uh, share with us, and uh, we just appreciate that so much. And uh, from what I hear, it's a, a uh, recording uh, but we want to commend you, even I want to commend you, for being a congregation that sees the need to send your pastor or give your pastor a significant time away uh, on what's called a sabbatical. Uh, that is crucial for pastors, uh, for young pastors like Kevin and uh, families uh, like Laura and family. So we want to thank you as a church for doing that. Uh, even I had the privilege of meeting with Kevin and Laura for lunch out here. I forget the place. It's down the road here. Uh, but uh, we met for lunch just before they were going on sabbatical, and they were sharing their plans and their heart for what they wanted to uh, do on sabbatical and the refreshment that they would receive, and uh, we are just so excited 
uh, that they're in the middle of their sabbatical. Now, I'm sure they'll be looking forward to coming back. I'm sure you're going to look forward to having them back, uh, but uh, God is good. And I trust that Kevin's going to come back uh, recharged, rejuvenated, and uh, the family has spent time together. So thank you for that and the privilege of that. If you have your Bibles this morning, I I put an outline. I had Felicia put an outline in the uh, church bulletin. Uh, I tend to be a learner who learns by visually seeing something and by writing uh, notes or fill in the blanks. Uh, That's free for you to uh, do. Uh, It's included in the bulletin, and I've provided a PowerPoint, and Ruben's back there uh, trying to uh, figure out where I am. Uh, So uh, hopefully... Uh, that'll come up. Uh, I know Reuben's gone through it, and uh, he'll do a good job there. Uh, so, uh, and have your Bibles either open or your uh, uh, devices uh, turn to Matthew 18, because we're going to exposit the text uh, this morning. Moving from forgiven to forgiving. It was one of the hardest times in my life and Eva's life in pastoral ministry. Someone had deeply hurt me. In fact, they had betrayed me. And to be honest, I was ripped. I was ripped. And yet I knew that God wanted me to forgive and wanted us to forgive this other person. So even I, in the midst of that conflict and turmoil that we all have when we've been wronged and and betrayed and, and hurt deeply, Uh, we had to choose to forgive, and we had to work through that, and we did so together. And and we asked God to help us in that process of experiencing forgiveness, extending forgiveness, and then living in that forgiveness. But I've got to admit to you that every time I saw this person, I wanted to keep my distance. I wanted to cross the street. I wanted to dive into a storefront or, or just get away. I didn't want to have to be with them or see them or acknowledge them. I, I wanted to avoid them. And, and at those times, I needed to carefully remember and purposefully remember, Lord, I have forgiven them and I need to live in that forgiveness. But it wasn't easy to do. As even I were working this through in our lives, uh, God led us to, to do something, to say to this couple and to that individual, yes, we want to express that we have forgiven. Uh, they had a deep desire to purchase a home in the community in which we lived, and they purchased a home, and uh, we desired or decided that God was moving us to give to them a housewarming gift. And so we purchased a gift, and we made our way down the road, Uh, walking uh, to give to them this gift as an expression to them of our pleasure that they indeed were now purchasing a home, which had been their desire, and and also to express our desire uh, to live in forgiveness. That was the hardest thing, one of the harder things that I ever did. I I wanted to turn around. I didn't want to go as we neared the house and the door. It was like, oh, I don't know that I want to be here. But we went. And though the relationship was never restored or repaired, uh, it takes two, uh, we could now live in the knowledge that we were choosing to forgive. C.S. Lewis, and the quote will come up for you, I think. Oh, there it is. 
Okay, Ruben, we're on track. Good. Uh, but C.S. Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until we have something to forgive. Now, Matthew 18 unpacks forgiveness for us in a very dramatic way. The whole of the chapter uh, 18 of Matthew is about living in the kingdom, life in the kingdom, characteristics of those who live in the kingdom. And Jesus Christ clearly wants you and me to understand that living life in the kingdom, living life in the church, living life as believers in Christian community means that we have different values. We have different things that characterize our lives than the earthly and worldly organizations that are all around us that we are a part of. In that kingdom, Jesus states in the first part of chapter 18, in that kingdom, the humble, not the self-assertive, are great. That's verses 1 through 6. And then Matthew 18 moves on to say that in the kingdom, uh, there is a heinousness of causing others to sin. And then it moves on and says that in the kingdom, we are to have care for those who have wandered away. We're to care for them. And then in the kingdom, we are to, uh, there's a way to treat those who are sinning, those who are wayward, and we need to hear that. But now at the end, as Jesus continues to talk about this community of redeemed, uh, the church of Christ, the family of God, uh, he makes the statements about forgiveness. And the whole chapter is seeking to answer a question. What does it look like to live as servants of the living Christ? To live as servants of the Messiah? And forgiveness is the section that comes last in this chapter that we approach this morning. It's a significant theme throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, we have Esau forgiving Jacob. We have Joseph forgiving his brothers. Moses forgiving the people of Israel, David and Absalom. And then we come into the New Testament and we have Christ's teachings on forgiveness as well as his expression of forgiveness in Luke 23, 34, where on the cross as he hung, he said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Eleven tortured words. Eleven words that say, you are to forgive others. And yet they reveal to me the barrenness of my own heart because I'm not always willing to forgive others. They rip the cover off of my own anger and my own resentment and they show it for what it really is. It rips the cover off of that thing that I say, if only people who hurt me would show that they were really sorry, then maybe I would or could forgive them. And yet Jesus is stating clearly that he wants us to say, Father, forgive them. Maybe they know what they do, but Lord, they, they, they have a sin that they're dealing with in their lives. There's a sin nature that they have to deal with. And Jesus wants us to say to those who deliberately and repeatedly hurt us, to those who intentionally attack us, to those who casually and thoughtlessly wound us, Father, forgive them and help me to be forgiving of them. Paul, in the epistles, in the letters that he writes, Again, teaches a lot on forgiveness. Ephesians, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. 
An unforgiving spirit, folks, breaks up marriages. It splits families. It ruins friendships. It splits up churches. It separates business partners. It, it, it uh, contaminates others who come around a person who lives in bitterness and revenge and anger and doesn't deal with forgiving. So therefore, this morning, I have one thing I want to say to you. It's captured in one phrase, the title of the message, the theme of the message, and it's this. Forgiven people must be forgiving people. And Matthew 18, folks, is going to push you to the edge. Uh, It's not going to be comfortable. It isn't comfortable for me as I reflect over it again and again. It begins with that question that Peter asked in verse 21. What a profound question. How many times do I have to forgive my brother's sin? Do you see it there in verse 21? Now, you and I need to understand clearly that in the rabbinic teaching of the day, you were called upon to forgive three times. Now, Peter, being a good Jew and understanding the rabbinic teaching, is thinking, well, three times, I'm going to double that and make it six, add one to it, make it seven, which is the number of completeness. Boy, I am doing very well. At least that's what Peter is thinking. You see, Peter's growing. Uh, He has learned to forgive. Uh, He's learned that it's important. He's making progress, but he also reasons that surely there has to be a limit on forgiveness, some boundary there. Peter's clearly learned something from Jesus. It's wonderful to see, but Peter sees forgiveness as something that needs to be practiced in moderation seven times, and after that, don't need to forgive. Now look at Jesus' reply in verse 22. It's very abrupt. For Jesus is not concerned with petty little forgiveness that somehow calculates, calculates out how many offenses should be done against me until I don't give it anymore. In fact, the word but appears in that verse 22. I tell you, Jesus says, not seven times, but... 77 times. Now, maybe some of your translations of the Scripture have uh, 70 times 70, 490, or 70 times 7, 490. Uh, There's some variance there, but, but the issue here is there should not be a limit. It's not that you forgive 77 times and then that's it. There shouldn't be a limit. It's a way of saying infinity. Jesus is saying here that numbers, we don't put limits on forgiveness, because God doesn't put limits on his forgiveness of us and his mercy towards us. And so we would ask like Peter, can this really be true? And so Jesus now moves on to tell this wonderful story, this parable that gets to the very heart of Christ's understanding and our need to understand forgiveness, because forgiven people must be forgiving people. The first part of the story, verses 23 to 27, is is that we are forgiven people. A servant comes to the king in the story as we unpack it. Uh, That that servant has incurred an incalculable debt. Or or the king has incurred an incalculable debt. The servant is indebted to them. It's about $6 billion. 
I didn't say million, I said six billion dollars in today's dollars. Now, if you owed a debt of six billion dollars to someone else, such indebtedness could never be repaid. That's the, that's the picture here. This man has neither the resources to repay that over his lifetime, nor does he have any hope in ever repaying that over his lifetime. And therefore, this servant begs for mercy. He he pleads to have time to pay it all back, but that's even an impossibility. Justice was of no use to him. I'll just pay the debt back. That's just. He couldn't do it. And so... He pleads for mercy. And it wasn't a half-hearted plea. He's begging. Now, in the story, the king is compassionate. He's moved with pity. And his compassion leads him to forgive. The debtor had requested time to pay. Did you notice that in the text? It says, give me time and I will repay you. But the king gives him complete freedom forgives the debt, wipes it out, sets no conditions, has no hesitation. It was an act of pure grace. That's a picture, folks, of God's relationship to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Colossians 3.13 says this, And you, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us some of our trespasses, having forgiven us all, say it with me, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Colossians 1.14, in him we have forgiveness of our sins. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Initially, that confession is to receive salvation, uh, but then it's to maintain fellowship with God, with one another, as we understand Christ's forgiveness of us. Folks, we have a great God, and we lose the picture and lose the focus sometimes. That's why I believe this parable, this story is in the Holy Scriptures. We need to see our great God, who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. This is our great God, who as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103 declares, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is our great God, our Savior, our Lord, who in Psalm 130 it says of him, O Lord, should you mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And worshiped. This is our great God, folks, who it says in Isaiah 38, You have cast all my sins behind your back. This is our great God, who of Him it says in Isaiah 43, He will remember, not remember your sins. Folks, this is our great God, and we live in that forgiveness because He has forgiven us so much by dying on the cross for our sins and us accepting that payment. 
Throughout Scripture, there are many definitions and various words of forgiveness. There's the word to blot out, that God erases the record of our sin. Praise God. Uh, There's the phrase to lift or to carry away, the removal, the heavy load being lifted from our shoulders, to release from debt, to show grace to one who has sinned greatly. Forgiveness is truly a gift from God. Forgiveness in this story was truly a gift from the king to the debtor. Now, the man in our story is forgiven. It's not on the basis of anything he could do or did or any merit of his own, but it's because of the character of the king. And we are not forgiven because somehow we deserve it, somehow we've earned it, somehow we've uh, been good enough to get it. We are forgiven because of our king, Jesus. And that forgiveness takes place when the one who is owed the debt pays the debt. Eva and I at Christmas time regularly watch uh, a Christmas carol. Uh, we love a Christmas carol, and in the Christmas carol, and the picture is going to come up early on. There's Jacob Marley's ghost, right? Do you recognize him? Jacob Marley's ghost comes to Scrooge and shares these words: "I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link." by link and yard by yard while on the earth. And now I will never be rid of it any more than you will ever be rid of yours. Our chains are gone. We've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood His mercy reigns. Unending love. Amazing. Have you experienced that forgiveness? Do you understand the depth and the greatness of that forgiveness that frees us and allows us to be who God desires us to be? Now, if I ended the message here and I said the story ends here, what a wonderful ending, basking in the greatness of the forgiveness of the King of our Savior Jesus. But the story does not end here. How can someone encounter this type of forgiveness and not be different at the very core of their being? That's what the story is stating. How can you not view life and people differently when you've experienced forgiveness on that level? Those in the kingdom of God, those in the family of God, those who are children of God, we serve a great king who has invariably forgiven you and me far more than we can ever forgive another. We are a forgiven people if we are part of the family of God. But remember, forgiven people must be forgiving people. The servant's attitude in this story is appalling to me. Is it appalling to you every time you read it? Now money is owed to the servant. The equivalent was stated in Scripture as 100 days wages. Now I don't know what the living wage is down here. I live out in northwest Jersey in Warren County, out in Blairstown. Uh, 
$20,000 a year, that's a third of a year or so maybe, or $25,000 a year, maybe out here it's a little more, a little less, but, but it was like $20,000, let's say, 100 days wages out in uh, Palestine. Uh, it's not an insignificant amount, $20,000, that's a pretty good chunk of change, but compared to the debt of the servant, the first servant, compared to that debt, it's clearly... 20,000 to 6 billion is clearly a trifle. And yet, being greedy, the servant turns around and the text says he seeks to choke him. Now, notice the request was similar. Look at verse 26 and verse 29. Verse 26 Be patient with me, the servant begged, and I will pay back everything. Verse, uh, that's 26. Verse 29, the second servant says, be patient with me and I will pay you back. A little difference in phrasing, but it's the same request. I'll pay you back. I will do what I need to do. And yet the continuing action of the verb, of the response of that first servant to the second servant who now wants to be forgiven uh, indicates that this man was set against any type of clemency, any type of forgiveness, and therefore puts him into prison. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 and 7 states this, Now, if anyone has caused you pain, you should turn to forgive them. This is why I write, says the Apostle Paul, so that you would not be outwitted by the devil. I love that turn of phrase. I believe the devil wants to outwit some of us. And he's doing that through feelings that we have of anger or hurt or bitterness and therefore a lack of desire to forgive. I believe that unforgiveness is designed by our enemy to outwit us, to cripple our relationship with God and with others. Priscilla Shire in her book, and I think it's a video series called Fervent, writes this about Uh, forgiveness and about Satan outwitting us and crippling us. Anything that dampens or deadens the freedom that God's mercy and forgiveness is meant to give us, can it really be worth holding on to? Listen, God knows how to deal with sin, our sin, others' sin. And when you choose to forgive someone, you're not uh, wiping their actions away as if bad things didn't happen. You're not giving people a free pass from the harm they've caused you. You're just sparing yourself the burden of working two extra jobs, being judge and jury for how justice is meted out in this situation. Why not let someone relieve you of the pressure? Someone, capital S, who actually knows what he's doing, and someone, capital S, who's just waiting right now to talk with you about it. His forgiveness, my friend, is freedom. Yes, his forgiveness His forgiveness of you is what makes your forgiveness possible towards others. Realize you're lying back already in a vast blue ocean of forgiveness. Same as me, same as all of us who have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. So there's more than enough of his forgiveness splashing around you to extinguish all the flames of rage, hatred, bitterness, animosity your enemy may have ignited within you. Remembering what Christ's redemption has done for you will make you eager to do it. For another. 
let's not let Satan outwit us. Let's live in Christ. Christ here is setting us an example, giving us an example of an unforgiving, though forgiven person. And there are some forgiven people, maybe some right here in this sanctuary this morning, who are living in unforgiveness. You're unwilling to forgive others. As the other people in the story see this happening, they come to the king. And they say to the king, look what's being done. And the king then goes and says, you scoundrel, all that debt that I forgave you. In fact, I gave you extraordinary grace and forgiveness, $6 billion worth. You received that extraordinary grace. You should have acted in mercy. And the king hands over that servant to the torturers. Forgiven people must be forgiving people. But look at verse 35. It's the key principle at the end of the text. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you, me, will treat each of us unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This parable is saying what happened to that man will happen to you unless you learn to forgive and forgive and forgive. There's a direct relationship here between my relationship with my God being forgiven by my God and my forgiveness of others, his followers and others around me. It must extend to all. And the point that Jesus is making here is clear, that if we hold back on forgiveness, if we hold fast to an unforgiving spirit, we will be handed over to tormentors, anger, and bitterness that will eat your guts out. Frustration and malice towards others that can give you ulcers and migraines. Tormentors that will cause you to lay awake at night and lose sleep and think back over every rotten thing that ever happened to you. Torturers, like an unforgiving heart that never leaves you. Now, the reason that we forgive is not because somehow we've merited or earned God's favor by forgiving others, but holding on to an unforgiving spirit proves that we do not, or shows forth that we do not love Christ and trust Him. You see, a transformed heart that experiences God's forgiveness must result, must result in a changed and a transformed life that is willing to offer that same forgiveness to others that's been received by them from God. And this parable is stating clearly that one who does not grant forgiveness to others shows that their own heart has not really experienced or is not really living in the forgiveness that God has given to them. Forgiveness, it's a matter of heart. Now, I've got to tell you, I found forgiveness at that moment that I described earlier on, hard to extend. I had to work through a number of things and come to grips with a number of areas. And so let me give you some practical implications here of what we've talked of this morning. 
They're just little pithy sayings. There is an out, or there is a uh, a line in your bulletin, a blank in your bulletin. If you're given to taking notes, that's fine. If you want to fill them in, that's fine. Forgiveness is not an option. It is an obligation of obedience. We must forgive as God has forgiven us freely, graciously, completely, and totally. It is not an option for the one who is calling themselves a child of the king. Secondly, forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. If I waited until I felt like forgiving somebody, I would never get around to forgiving many times. It is a choice we have to make. It means letting go of my anger, letting go of my desire for revenge, understanding that God knows all about things, that he can deal with it and he can deal with me. Thirdly, I I learned that forgiveness is not a one-time deal. Remember I said with that forgiveness issue that I was facing early on, there, there were times I'd be walking down the street, see this individual, I wanted to dodge into the store, I had to keep applying the fact that, yes, I have forgiven them, and I had to do it over and over, and still as I recount that, I have to remember, Lord, I want to live in that forgiveness. Yes, I have forgiven them. Fourthly, forgiveness does not mean that things return to normal. Oh, that they would, but they don't always return to normal. Thomas Watson, a Puritan writer, said this, We are not bound to trust an enemy but we are bound to forgive them. Trust has to be earned. Relationship has to be restored. That takes time. That takes two people working at it. Forgiveness does not mean that things will necessarily return to normal the way they were. The next point mirrors that one in some ways. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation or restoration. Reconciliation requires forgiveness, but forgiveness does not demand reconciliation. We forgave, but we were never really reconciled to that individual. Next, forgiveness is not about fairness. It's about grace. But I protest. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Of course not. That's what forgiveness is. It's giving what they don't deserve. We got what we don't deserve God gave us in mercy and grace. It's not about fairness. God deals with that. He'll make sure that justice reigns. Next, forgiveness does not mean that we totally forget. Remember the scripture verse earlier that I quoted out of Isaiah, that God forgets our sins and remembers them no more? Our minds don't work that way. It doesn't mean that I totally forget, that I totally erase the the thing from my computer mind. Uh, It's the fact that I choose not to remember it. I choose not to dwell on it. Clara Barton, founder of the Red Cross, don't know if she was a believer or not, but she said something that was wonderful. Somebody came to her one time and said to her, Clara, don't you remember when she did that to you? Clara Barton's reply was, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. And sometimes that's what we need to do. We need to say, I'm going to choose not to remember that. I'm going to choose not to act on that. I want to live in forgiveness. Lastly, forgiveness is not a good idea so that you will feel better, though you might. 
And I see a lot of writings in Christian periodicals even about we ought to forgive because it makes us feel better. And there's, there's a sense that it does. I feel better when I forgive, but that's not the reason I forgive. I re- give, forgive because it's a good idea because it's God's command to be obeyed. And I need to live in that obedience. And yes, I do feel better. That's part of the byproduct, but that's not why I do it. Forgiven people must be forgiving people. And yet the reality, as I bring this to a close, is that as long as I live on a human level, totally forgiving is beyond my grasp. But once I bring God into the picture, everything can change because with God all things are possible. That's why Ephesians 4.32 says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. God's forgiveness is underneath ours. It creates, it supports, so that if we don't give it to others, God's not really operating in our lives. On a supernatural level, with God as a part of my life, I can forgive because it's a miracle of God that he's forgiven me and that he works in me to forgive through me. Small step number one, have you come to the cross? Have you experienced the forgiveness of God? Has that marvelous truth that Christ died on the cross for you and all your sins, has that captured your life initially through salvation and then growing in grace? Maybe that's where you need to come. Lord, help me to understand this morning again the marvel of your forgiveness. Small step number two, maybe there's people in your life that you're thinking of this morning that you need to bring to the cross to the foot of the cross and say, yes, I need to forgive them. Uh, The question is, are you going to seize them by the neck? Or are you going to put your arms around them and bring them and say, hey, God's forgiven me. And I want to express to you through Christ my forgiveness of you. Perhaps God needs to soften your heart. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and people have hurt you so badly that you kind of close down. You become hard on the inside because you want to protect yourself from any further hurt and pain, God understands that. Perhaps God needs to give you courage and strength to do the hard thing, to move on, to forgive. It was the night of June 17, 2015. Eve and I were out at Free Church National Conference in San Diego, California at the time. A lonely gunman entered the basement of a church in Charleston, South Carolina. Nine people died that night at a Bible study. Nadine Collier lost her mom. At the bond hearing for the individual that was accused or that was uh, eventually convicted of those killings, she stood up, as did others, and she said these words to that individual. I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never see and talk to my mom again in this life. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. If God forgives you, then I must forgive you. Collier later said that that is what her mom would have wanted. In that moment, Nadine Collier learned that forgiveness isn't weak and mushy, It's a Christian duty, not to be done begrudgingly. 
It's not easy. There's a cost. There's pain that maybe will have to yet be endured. But she learned that forgiveness is a choice that one makes because God commands that we forgive others because he has forgiven us. Forgiven people must be forgiving people. Jesus, it is so easy for us, for me, to accept your forgiveness of all my sins and to thank you for that. And yet, Lord, when it comes to extending forgiveness to others, that can be so hard. And yet you have called us in this parable and stated clearly that we need to forgive because we've been forgiven much more than we will ever have to forgive others. And that if we don't forgive, Lord, there are those tormentors that will come into our life. And you want us to live in the freedom of living in forgiveness. Lord, work in my heart. Perhaps it needs to be that view of how much I've been forgiven in you see you high and lifted up, to see you in all your glory. Perhaps it's to think of that individual or individuals or others around me who have hurt me and, and make that choice to extend forgiveness and then grapple with you, Lord, as to how that needs to be expressed or done. Perhaps it's, Lord, to, to let something in the past that continues to plague me that I, I had originally said, yes, I, I forgive uh, someone for that. Uh, that it keeps coming back and needs to be reminded, Lord, this morning to, to just allow you to do that work in our lives. So, Father, deal with us as we close down the service. And deal with us, Lord, so that we can be forgivers, even as we've been forgiven. For it's in your holy name I pray these things, thanking you for the sure reality of your word and your life in me and in us, Lord. Amen.